0: Hello and welcome to another edition of 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn, and we're recording the show today on December the 3rd. I'm pleased to welcome uh, our guest today. He's a District 8 resident. He is the director of the Kentucky Resources Council, Many people know him uh, by his one-name moniker, like Madonna or Prince. This is Fitz. (laughs) Tom Fitzgerald, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here today.
1: The the artist formerly known as Fitz. Right. (laughs) It's great to be here.
0: So for 35 years, the Kentucky Resources Council has been a trusted source of legal representation, advice, and assistance to individuals, communities, and local governments on a wide range of environmental and energy issues. Accepting no corporate or government money and providing legal assistance without charge, KRC relies on its members and supporters to enable it to provide unflinching advocacy for those who live downhill, downwind, and downstream. Uh, Fitz, tell us a little bit more about Kentucky Resources Council and about yourself.
1: Well, KRC uh, was used to be the Kentucky Rivers Coalition. It originally started back in the 70s when farmers were facing inundation of their lands from Corps of Engineers projects. There was an era where One of the ways that uh, legislators would bring home uh, projects, uh, uh, earmarked projects for their communities and jobs, is to build big dams. And so uh, among the fights that the Kentucky Rivers Coalition fought, which, which some of the listeners might remember... Uh, particularly the ones that are older, like myself, uh, would be the Red River Dam, mm-hmm. uh, which would have completely flooded the Red River Gorge and taken out a number of farmlands up in that area. Uh, but they also fought uh, Falmouth and, and uh, Yatesville up in Northern Kentucky and Campground. Uh, and um, they morphed into the Kentucky Resources Council in response to a uh, threat from uh, uh, mining of shale Uh, Back during the late 70s and early 80s, Uh, I came to them from uh, as a legal aid attorney with Apple Red, which is Eastern Kentucky's legal services uh, agency. I came to them in 84. Uh, and reformed it as a legal aid provider. So mm-hmm. we ha- we are not a public interest law firm that, you know, that picks and chooses issues because they look sexy uh, or uh, because they're topical. Uh, we deal with what comes through the door and uh, we try to provide a modicum of justice for folks who have disproportionately borne the brunt of the impacts of pollution and of environmental injustice. So we do uh, a lot of lobbying, to try to protect people's uh, uh, rights over in the legislature on air, waste, water, mining, utility policy, uh, energy policy issues. And then we also do a lot of individual cases Uh, We uh, fought a couple of uh, natural gas liquids pipelines that were going to come through Kentucky Uh, in recent years. We were involved in the uh, proposal to build an anaerobic uh, digester uh, in the West End Mm -hmm. and to to truck in wastes in order to do that. So we do uh, some issues here in in Metro Louisville. Uh, We work from Paducah all the way up to Harlan County and uh, and just try to... uh, uh, to provide uh, some some uh, try to balance the scales out, try to bring some justice to folks who are who, as you said are downhill and downwind and downstream.
0: Well, um, you know for myself and for many other people, you are the person that first comes to mind anytime there is a significant uh, environmental, uh, issue, an environmental justice issue, and, you know, over the many years and decades, you've clearly established yourself as an authority in this area in Louisville and in, in the entire state of Kentucky, uh, and I thought it was particularly timely to have you on the show today, given that not only some of the things that we're discussing in the Louisville Metro Council, uh, you know, policy questions about some of our renewable energy goals um, policy questions about our tree preservation and planning rules, those sorts of things. But obviously, it seems like even over the Thanksgiving weekend, the articles in the New York Times were just another series of warnings from climate scientists around the world that things are worse than we even thought, you know, a year ago or two years ago. Absolutely. Um, And so I was hoping that you could sort of frame sort of where your mind is in terms of trying to wrap Wrap your head around what the Kentucky Resources Council is doing. If you're still focusing fundamentally on what you do here statewide and the issues you focused on, or um, whether you're out of necessity, you're being focused to sort of shift and uh, comment on the bigger global picture, or even to get drilled down closer locally and really try to get the attention of, you know, Metro Council people as opposed to. Uh, state-elected officials or federal officials?
1: Sure. Well, it is particularly timely. Today, uh, over at Simmons College, there's a day-long conference on climate change and the interface between climate change and environmental justice, you know, because we like to, for for many years, unfortunately, uh, when people think of climate change, uh, they would think of, you know, an an, a, an underfed polar bear on a piece of ice that's melting, you know, somewhere in the Arctic, or they would think about... about um, uh, melting ice caps, um, but the reality is, is, is climate chaos, uh, because climate change really makes it sound like it's something that's planned out or something that right. is is predictable. Um, uh, the climate chaos that has been created by the overloading of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere uh, is really uh, has come home uh, to roost in in so many different ways, and unfortunately, like the other types of pollution disproportionately burdens communities of color and communities that are low income and have the least opportunities to, to act in a way that has um, uh, to be resilient in the face of these crises. So, you know, we've got um, uh, the NAACP, Kentucky uh, recognized uh, that uh, climate change is in fact an environmental justice issue. They've now, the NAACP nationally has been working for 10 years on various facets of climate change. Uh, Everything from the uh, uh, disproportionate burden on low-income communities of having coal-fired power, which is not only a CO2, a greenhouse gas emitter, but also has very adverse local effects like the folks out in Cane Run and and other areas have suffered here in Metro Louisville. So it's it's a legitimate concern. Um, Unfortunately, with the the lack of attention at the national level under the Trump administration, uh, which is you know is trying to reverse years of of progress that has been made in in recognizing and starting to adapt to climate change, um, the the burden falls and the opportunity falls on local governments, mm-hmm. and so Metro Louisville. Um, has a number of agencies that are that have been specifically, and, and you've been involved in, looking at resiliency, looking at sustainability, looking at uh, lightening the carbon footprint of the community. But there's also, you know, we're, we're at a point now of, of not only after years of being told by the best of the climate scientists that this is a crisis, that we're reaching breakpoints on a number of these issues. We are both in a situation where we need to mitigate by moving to a much lighter carbon footprint, and and the business case can be made very easily for moving to renewables and away from coal-fired power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's happening anyway because of the marketplace. It has nothing to do with the so-called war on coal. It has everything to do with natural gas being as plentiful and as and, and as available as it is. Uh, and uh, so we've we've got opportunities. Uh, the question is to you know to make sure that that as we move forward, we do so in a way. That lifts everyone up, mm-hmm. rather than creating new winners and the same losers.
0: Um, you know, climate chaos seems like one of those issues that even if the city of Louisville was a green utopia and we did everything perfect, and you know we could snap our fingers and change the way we live, you know that doesn't stop the rest of the world from doing what it's doing. And that right. we don't, you know, that that disaster could come regardless. But obviously, right. I think you have to proceed. Uh, under you know, w- with with the thought being, well, you can't control what the rest of the world does, so we have to do what we can do, and hopefully others will do what they can do, and together our collective impact makes a difference. I think that's the only way forward.
1: Well, I think that is the only way forward, and and you know, similar to to uh, the air pollution issues. Okay, we're in the Ohio River Valley. Uh, we have uh, the the only local air pollution agency uh, in the state. 119 other counties have decided not to do an air pollution control district. We have some very creative uh, and some very dedicated folks at ABCD. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've made great progress in reducing air toxics. But when you're looking at an issue like ozone, right? You know, ground level ozone is at at certain concentrations is a threat to those with compromised respiratory systems, compromised immune systems, children, uh, uh, the... uh, uh, folks with pulmonary problems, we get a lot of that pollution comes across our border, mm-hmm. comes from upwind sources, but that doesn't give us a pass from the requirement that we try to provide healthy air. Right. So, it, and, it, and it may seem like what we do is a, is a small piece of the big puzzle, but there is uh, collectively changes can be made that in their own right, even if it was not a climate issue, makes sense they make sense because they make a community healthier, mm-hmm. more resilient, um, because they they uh, they just make economic sense. Even if you're right. not thinking of the big picture, right? Right. Um, and uh, so, but there are a number of things that can be done.
0: Well, I want to um, I want to talk about um, the makeup of local government and what can be done. Um, you know, when I think of what government can do and what are sort of how our community is contributing to some of the environmental problems we face i think most naturally of our land use and our transportation okay. systems the fact that we've been a sprawling city for for generations now not just decades the fact that we depend on um the automobile and people driving around and our systems aren't great and i've always thought about it pri- primarily about that and those are policy those are policy issues and some that we've started to get Better in terms of our comprehensive plan and some of our other growth and development in the economy drive some of that stuff. Sure, but I, but I wanted to talk more about the actual government itself. Like if we were taking the org chart for Metro government and looking at the different departments and agencies and our budget. There are certain assets that we have now. You mentioned the Air Pollution Control District, which I want to talk about in a minute. There's sure. the Jefferson County uh, Environmental Trust. You know, there's the Parks Department, Health Department. There was a yeah. So there sure. are assets that are working whose mission it is to make sure that our, envi- our environment is a healthier place. And I want to sort of sort of explore with you how some of those things are doing now, and what maybe some changes would look like if we reimagined what our government looked like. I'll start with APCD because. I, you know, with the latest round of budget changes, the Office of Sustainability that formerly existed, it, it came into being with Mayor Fisher. It was never really a robust operation. Right. It was one or two people at the most. Um, it's, it's gone away and become wrapped into the advanced planning uh, department. I had always thought that APCD, that really could be the core of, of a real Office of Sustainability, a, a local environmental protection agency, with air pollution perhaps being our biggest, uh, or, or one of the biggest threats and challenges that we have to deal with. But, you know, I've seen APCD is under economic development on the org chart. And so there's maybe some perception that, well, really, this is... You know the re- the regulated having an influence on the regulators and um, APCD sometimes slaps a company on the wrist with a hundred thousand dollar fine, but that doesn't fundamentally change the way that you know the quality of our air. Could you comment a little bit about that? And
1: sure, well there you know there was a time, um, and fortunately we've gotten past that time, where the business community really did I think have an inordinate. Amount of influence on the decisions that were being made by uh, regulatory agencies such as APCD. Sure. Um, and uh, there was a time when, for example, if APCD was looking at a proposed regulation, the chamber would get the first draft, and then the public would get the second draft. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've gotten past that, and I think that um, uh, while I may have my differences with where the agencies are. In the particular charts or what they're called, you know, Right. Uh, what I call the planning and design services people develop Louisville probably not, you know, um, but um, the uh, ABCD uh, I think has has a uh, obviously they are the local agency implementing the Clean Air Act, so mm-hmm. there are certain requirements uh, that they are, that they discharge, but they are they really have in their best days they have gone beyond what the minimum standards are because unfortunately Kentucky is one of of over a dozen uh, two dozen states that have in have bought into the myth that economic development and environmental progress are at loggerheads right and um we have adopted no more stringent than policies that tie us to the minimum standards for environmental protection and say that we will be no more protective. Now, APCD is not bound by that. So they have done some fairly creative things. Uh, the STAR program mm-hmm. being sure. being the capstone, I think, uh, in recent years where you had citizen activism from uh, REACT, you had... Uh, uh, and so
0: just to... Just to sure. Sure. Some people, most people who would listen to this podcast have heard of the STAR program, but it's the Strategic Toxic Air Reduction Program. That's right. And you mentioned REACT, which
1: is... Uh, Robert Town Emergency Action Coalition. Several years back, Reverend Coleman, Lewis Coleman, who was a a uh, well-known racial and environmental justice and economic justice advocate, um, had... uh, uh, and React had started to do citizen-based air sampling, mm-hmm. and in conjunction with the University of Louisville, Russ Barnett over at the the uh, university uh, did some fence line sampling and realized that the levels of air toxics that people were were breathing throughout the community, but particularly at the fence line in the West End, where you have very dramatic changes from industrial land use to residential with very little buffering in between mm-hmm. were were uh, exceeded what were considered safe levels of exposure to these air pollutants so uh, under the Abramson administration um, the uh, air pollution district art Williams who was director then uh, developed an air toxics program. Which went further than EPA had gone under the Clean Air Act and and looked at the the risks posed from multiple and individual sources of air toxics and demanded that those major sources of air toxics reduce their levels of pollution down to within the less than one in a million additional toxic or cancer risk. And so there was an appreciable reduction uh, in the emission of air toxics in the uh, West Jefferson County area, which, again, if that's the air shed that everybody in Metro Louisville is sharing. Um, and it was it was one of the great successes. And, and ABCD is now looking at a new round of review of the regulations with an eye towards what are the cumulative burdens mm-hmm. that we are bearing? Because it's not sufficient if we're going to create a you know, if you want to create a healthy economy, you have to have healthy people, healthy air, clean water and clean land, right? You don't build a sound economy on the backs of sick people in a sick environment. And um, one of the things that they're looking at is what are our remaining challenges? Okay, we've managed to, we are now marginally in non-attainment for the ozone standard. We used to be in much more serious non-attainment. So we've made progress, even as the standards have been reduced because the science is showing that lower levels of exposure still cause harm. Mm -hmm. And so they have now started a broad based initiative inviting the public in to look at what are the what are the remaining sources of concern? What can we do and where can we best most strategically improve air quality? You know, and some of the challenges are you have a political push to get rid of reformulated gas. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the question is, is uh, will that harm our efforts towards clean air? Now, uh, northern Kentucky, uh, the, uh, the, the state uh, did not assess what the impact, carefully assess what the impact would be when they were able to get rid of reformulated gas, which is one of the strategies for addressing the ozone problem. They went back into non-attainment. hmm you know and, and and transportation related emissions are a big issue in northern kentucky they are here as well mm-hmm. so we need to be careful as we're putting together it's a legitimate question are the control measures that we put in place still valid right are they still effective for the cost that they impose uh and what are the what are the best ways that we can continue to drive down pollution in order to create a healthy economy, a healthy environment, healthy communities. And so I think APCD has really um, has started this initiative and it's a very broad-based initiative. Some of the other agencies in government are working together better now than they have historically. You know, unfortunately, when EPA was created back in the 70s, which was really the decade for federal environmental laws, the Environmental Protection Agency went off in one direction. And the health departments were reduced to basically this agency off in the corner that does, um, you know, gives you some inoculations and test swimming Disease. pools. Right. And so, so the whole idea that, that drives public health, which is the precautionary principle, first do no harm, mm-hmm. right, was really lost. And so under the EPA programs, we, we were supposed to end water pollution, for example, by 1985. Not quite there, right. right? We're supposed to end air pollution, and we're not quite there because what's happened is is the the chemicals and the pollution sources get more due process than the people that are breathing what's coming out of the smokestacks. Mm-hmm. And so having the health department back involved in some of these issues and working closely with the Office of, of uh uh, the, the sustainability and resiliency folks, uh, and looking at environmental justice issues. It's very important, right? You know, we've got challenges. We have kids who are still growing up in Louisville who are, uh, we have thousands of homeless kids in our school system. You know, why is that ever tolerated? And how can we address that? We have lead pollution problems. One of the most avoidable childhood, uh, uh, d- uh, diseases or afflictions is lead poisoning. Mm-hmm. And yet we still have housing stock out there that's being leased to people where there's not a requirement to test, not a requirement to abate lead paint pollution. So th- you know, we have our challenges. But I think that that um, uh, with the Metro Council's support, uh, even in a tight budget time, it's a question of where you, what you prioritize. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to have robust economic development you're going to have to have a healthy community, a healthy economy, uh, schools that are adequately funded, uh, and uh, and a community where we are not leaving people behind.
0: Well, it sounds like I mean you know when you started to talk about some of the rulemaking and the administrative um, machinations and the policy making where that really sets the standards that really dictates uh, entities' behavior. That's where you know we thank goodness that you all exist because we know that as long as you're around, we can trust you to read everything and comment and follow. The, and, and when I say you, sure. I don't mean just sure. you specifically. Although certainly you as leader of the KRC and your supporters and your board and uh, and uh, and your partners, but um, you started to talk a little bit about. What I originally asked, sort of the the structural organization of government. Right. and I, that it what you said totally makes sense that you know, a health department that just focuses on epidemiology as opposed to a, a healthy environment, there could be a real detachment there right. from uh, f- from you know the environmental mission, let's say, of the APCD or some other related agencies. And so i'm I'm pleased to hear that you think that they're working together. Uh, better than in the past. Yeah. And we know a little bit about that, whether it's from talking to the Louisville Water Company about their lead service removal program, whether it's from groups like Trees Louisville who are announced in our last podcast or just before they're planting 10,000 trees in the Rubbertown area, uh, whether it's from talking to the health department about their Center for Health Equity, which I think is probably one of the divisions of the department that really focuses on some of these environmental justice yeah. issues. Yeah. But if let's, I I really want to try to think, think big. And I know you can't just do this off the the top of your head. If, uh, if, you know, I I was, I was looking through my files on my computer, my laptop over the holiday to try to occasionally I clean up some Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. on my hard drive. And I found a letter from about six years ago that said to my dear friends, and it was a letter that you wrote to a lot of people. About this time, six years ago, and I think people were, were asking you to consider a run for U.S. Senate, and you, you declined after thinking about it, I guess, and we won't, we won't really go into that. But let's just say that it's the year 2022, and you have been successfully convinced it is Louisville Mayor Tom Fitz, Fitzgerald. <laughs> and it's the mayor's job to set a vision for the community, but also for the government Sort of structurally, organizationally, um, big, bold goals from the top down. Is there something, or it doesn't have to be you, is there something that you think is missing uh, at a fundamental, a fundamental day in and day out level in terms of really changing the city government's focus on uh, preserving and improving the environmental health of the community? I mean, you know, and with, with all due respect to Mayor Fisher and everybody else, you know, you have to balance public safety and jobs sure. and sure. Uh, the workforce and all these different things that take priority. And I think if you asked the mayor, he would tell you that his priorities, hes you know, he's articulated several of them, health and compassion and education, certainly jobs. If If we had a mayor who said the environment has to be number one because it supersedes everything, it is everything— is there is there something that help me try to imagine what that looks like different from the government that we have today? Is it possible?
1: Well, it is, um, and I think that one of the you know, one of the the functions of any executive, uh, and um, uh, and I can uh, all but guarantee that anybody who's listening to the podcast that that uh, that that scenario will not come to pass. Um, I, I did flirt with becoming. I was asked to look at, at uh, running for senate because. You know, unfortunately, um, the uh, the senior senator from from uh, the Commonwealth, uh, I think, lost sight of of who he was uh, and of his compass. Um, he used to be a reformer. He used to be uh, uh, very uh, progressive. He was looked at at being the reform candidate uh, by a lot of folks who backed him when he ran for county judge because there had been uh, perceived problems in, in, in regarding corruption and government. And,
0: uh, I, I'll just interject to say, you yeah. know, this is not a political no, podcast. I, 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 and, uh, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, I pointed it out just because, um, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's the sign that people had urged you to run for office as other people urge people to run for different offices sure. because people see a need for leadership, With a certain expertise and whether that's at the federal level or the state level. And I'm sort of positing at the local level where I think maybe people had thought that strong environmental leadership at the local level was limited to something like smarter land use policy. Right. I'm trying to imagine what else it could look like.
1: Well, I think I think smarter land use policy is a big, big piece of it. Yeah, I think what you need with any administration is you look at what is your unifying theme or mm-hmm. themes, right? And and one of them is uh, that the you know we have uh, my generation in particular the boomers, right, uh, were were handed uh, a lot by by the greatest generation. Uh, and we squandered a lot. Okay, uh, collectively. Uh, I think that um, the, we have, unfortunately, uh, in recent years, the whole idea of justice has been a, a become a, a corrupted version of it, which is just us. Mm-hmm. So everybody's like, well, why would I want to support uh, better schools? I don't have any kids in schools. Or why would I want to support a library tax? Because I don't use the library. Or why would I? So it's, it's not, we've lost our sense of civic responsibility and civic accountability and the fact that it, it indeed takes all of us actively engaging. Uh, we've, we've created this, this myth, and I really go back to the beginning of the Reagan era, that government is the problem, and that government is something other than us collectively deciding how to, um, how to govern our affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that um, the, the, uh, the question of justice is one. That really needs to permeate so much of what we do, right. um, and not just us. But the idea that that if we are going to uh, to do, to be a healthy community, we need to look at those areas that have historically borne the brunt of our economy, uh, our economic decisions. You know, we talk about coal being. Uh, the source of cheap energy, it's not for people who live near where it's mined, who suffer through the mining process with black lung, for those who live near the coal ash dumps and near the power plants. So uh, one of the, the unifying themes, I think, is how do we create healthy communities? How do we recognize those areas that have disproportionately been burdened and prioritize them for new opportunities, not opportunity zones that give a, a developer the opportunity to avoid taxes and to gentrify and displace communities, but opportunities for reinvestment in communities that have been burdened, opportunities to, to elevate communities, so the sort of work that's going on in Russell now, uh, some very creative things happening there. And so I think I think that that's that's the unifying theme. It's, and it's not just a matter of justice... For our, you know, in answer to to Kane's rhetorical question, I guess the theme of how I look at the work that we do is that, yes, we are our brothers and sisters keepers and we are responsible uh, for for how we govern ourselves and govern our relations with others.
0: Plus, plus, I mean, you alluded to it earlier, there it, it's not just us. We all breathe the same air in the That's West right. Jefferson County uh, right. air shed, or however you described it. So, um, and I think, you know, I mean, clearly justice is a, an important, powerful theme. And I yeah. think, um, you know, most people might think of criminal justice or or something like that. But
1: Restorative justice. I mean, there's right. a lot of work being done in that field. Um but, the, you know, the other, the, the, today is a, a, is a remarkable day to be having this conversation because in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, there is a small town called Opportunity, Montana, which is fighting ARCO, BP, over the issue of whether having contaminated their community for over 100 years with copper smelting, whether they have to clean up their mess or whether they can shift some of that burden of contamination onto future generations by doing a, quote-unquote, risk-based cleanup where they leave some junk behind and pave it over or fence it off or bury it under 18 inches of clean soil. And uh, the community of opportunity, Montana, is in front of the U.S. Supreme Court fighting literally for for the the... The uh, to have this company clean up its mess. Mm-hmm. And and the company in their pleadings said requiring them to do more than they were required to in the deal that they cut with the Env- Environmental Protection Agency would be madness. My sense is allowing someone who's polluted land, contaminated land, to leave some of their contamination behind for the future generations to have to deal with, that's madness.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and you, I mean, it, drives home, it r- reminds us that, you know, Uh, You're a lawyer, yes. and the Kentucky Resources Council's work is legal work, uh, fundamentally, legal and policy work. And that um, perhaps the most important work that you do and the most significant opportunities for change is not in tinkering with an org chart, certainly not with renaming an agency, um, but in challenging um, local, state, and federal law. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you are involved in right now uh, in Louisville specifically, or that pertains to Louisville? So far as the courts, is there any case?
1: There? Sure. Well, there there are um, right now in in terms of Louisville and litigation. There's not very much going on. We are we we are um, uh, representing the Bernheim Foundation uh, in opposing LGE's efforts to run a 12 mile pipeline. Uh, through their property and through a number of other properties there in Bullitt County. Uh, the pipeline will not serve the people whose properties are being disrupted by it. Uh, Bernheim uh, was uh, purchased these properties in order to protect an important conservation corridor. And, um, and so we are, we are uh, opposing LGE uh, in the courts on that issue right now. Uh, we are also, uh, we represent the Metro Housing Coalition. Uh, and we are currently in front of the state Supreme Court because the Public Service Commission, which regulates uh, utility, uh, you know, water and, and, uh, and electric and gas utilities mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in this community and in the Commonwealth, they have taken the radical position that not only do low income advocates and affordable housing advocates have no business being part of their rate cases, even though they let in big business, big government, and big industry, they wouldn't let in the low-income folks. Uh, they took the radical position that their decision not to allow intervention in their cases cannot be reviewed by any court. So we are in front of the state Supreme Court on the very simple issue of whether any agency created by the legislature is above the law. Mm-hmm. And that will have profound impacts in Louisville because this public service commission, the three commissioners, all uh, Bevan appointees, uh, have taken uh, another radical position, which is that affordability of utility rates is not within their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. That is very, very, uh, a different position than previous administrations have taken. And affordability is key. If you're going to have fair, just, and reasonable rates, they must be reasonable in light of the fact that the poorest of the poor uh, of our brothers and sisters in this community are spending up to a quarter of the income that they have every month, just to keep the lights on, mm-hmm. just to keep cool in the summer and just to keep warm in the winter. Okay. And so, um, those are, those are issues we're, we're involved in that effect uh, metro louisville right and they now do
0: transcend the natural environment
1: oh absolutely you know a lot of the work I mean, that,
0: obviously everything <clears throat> relates back to the well, environment and a
1: lot of the work control. that the council does um you know we are not a nature conservancy right i always say right. that i always say that groups like that protect the best and we we try to protect the rest uh we work a lot in the intersection between poverty and environmental justice and the built environment mm-hmm. so we do a lot of zoning and planning issues uh, we are um, very pleased to be working on a couple of ordinances for metro louisville that hopefully will be um, introduced within the next six months uh, one of them is dealing with with public's right to be involved when community facilities are being proposed whether it be a new a pump station for a waste for MSD or uh-huh. it'd be a new school uh, a parking lot or it'd be something um, because the community facility review doesn't have the sort of robust public notice that a zoning change does, for example.
0: I actually know a little bit about this so, because of a sort of an obscure case. People will remember it um, on Alta Vista Road, beautiful yes. road that winds through the parks, There was a a group that wanted to buy a big, beautiful home there and turn it into a school. Right. Uh, And, you know, it was just sort of a glitch in the land development code that there was no conditional use permit required for a private institutional use in a neighborhood as opposed to a public institutional use, exactly. it, which, which is what a community facility is as a public right. use. So,
1: so, so we're going to be having, yeah. uh, th- that will be hopefully presented for uh, the, the council's review. We're also looking at the idea of a cumulative environmental impact zone process. NAACP Kentucky has called for this during their last convention. Uh, there are other communities around the country that, that do this, and this is a way of taking, of dealing with how, so, we've, you know, we've got environmental justice. We understand that some areas have been burdened historically more than others. How do we fix that disproportionate burden? A cumulative environmental impact zone is a data-driven process where you identify certain data sets, whether it be proximity to Superfund sites, to landfills, air pollution burden, other uh, uh, criteria that help you identify those neighborhoods, those communities that are disproportionately burdened. Then you look at how do you ameliorate that burden Mm -hmm. by targeted investment, by, by locally driven economic revitalization. Uh, So that's where you're looking at what are what are monies available for dealing with distressed areas and what are the areas most in need and how do we lift up and and give the resources so those communities can lift themselves up. Mm -hmm. So that will also be uh, hopefully something that Metro Council will will be able to review as a as a vehicle for looking at cumulative impact and how you can best lift up those neighborhoods and empower those neighborhoods and reinvest in those neighborhoods. Cause we have tremendous human capital out there,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, and we have strong neighborhoods and we have resilient, uh, neighborhoods that have been through so much.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: really we, we are only as strong as, as the one of us who has the, who's who has the most right. difficulties. And no so just us, no just us. And so, so that will be something that, that I'm, I'm very excited about, because not only are we all dealing with legacy problems, but how do we prevent them in the future? And that mm-hmm. gets into your, your land use issue. The third piece of the puzzle, I think, is how do we meaningfully involve the public in all of these decisions? Because one thing that, that infuriates people more than anything and alienates them is the sense that decisions are made and they are an afterthought. Mm-hmm. The EPA developed some years ago a public participation protocol for hazardous waste sites, which we have adopted to a certain extent into planning and zoning. We now do, if you're going to make any sort of major changes in land use, you have a neighborhood meeting first. Mm-hmm. Then you do the pre-application, and then you do this process. That. So you're trying to involve the, the community more integrally in these decisions. But we need to do that across
0: local government. We, we, you know, we tried participatory budgeting, for example, right. as a pilot project, right. which is obviously another fundamental Absolutely. place where people's input matters. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. and then the last piece of the puzzle, the council is going to be working over the next couple of years uh, before I... I Your council. The Resources Council, that's right, not the measure Council, but hopefully the Metropolitan Council as well. Hopefully both, yeah. We are looking at leadership training, Mm -hmm. uh, and we will be reaching out to the Center for Neighborhoods, which does a great leadership institute. Um, I would encourage your listeners, if they're interested in becoming more involved as a neighborhood activist, a community activist, the Center for Neighborhoods does a great leadership. I'm training. a Neighborhood
0: Institute graduate. There you I go. Lots of other and,
1: and I have handed out diplomas there. So yeah. I, I, uh, but but it's a great opportunity to learn more about government. We hope to do similar trainings on environmental laws and land use laws, so that neighborhoods can neighborhood activists or would be activists can be more comfortable navigating some of these issues regarding permitting and regarding enforcement for water discharges, air permits and those uh, waste issues. So um, those, you know, in those ways, we're trying to get beyond just the delivery of legal services to people in crisis to helping to reframe how governance happens how decisions are made so that the public is much more integrally involved Mm -hmm. so that we we breach this this gap between the government and the public right and we realize it really is us
0: well i would say well first of all I'm obviously interested to see the pieces of legislation you're drafting, and if I can be helpful in moving them along or anyway or, or or reviewing them, I'd, I would love to be able to do that. And you know where to find me. And second, it does seem it does sound like we're both coming back to sort of the central question in a couple of ways. I, I was sort of talking about it first in terms of sort of moving pieces on the org chart, uh, but we we're both talking about sort of fundamentally changing government and specifically local government in some real ways that recalibrates the way that it works. And um you know I've been I've worked in government for a long time myself. And um I can see that we're at the point where it has to change. It just you know the private sector is changing it's sort of becoming more socially impact driven in some ways or at least mm-hmm. parts of mm-hmm. it are. The nonprofit sector uh, is becoming more entrepreneurial and innovative as it realizes yep. that it sort of has to adapt and compete for resources, funding, and otherwise. And so those sectors are sort of converging or at least changing. They, they really are. And from the inside over the past four years, I've sort of seen government largely stagnating or not changing quite as as quickly. And obviously, that's not sustainable. Yep. And it has to change and it will change. And so... um you know, I think we're at an exciting time with a lot of opportunity. Oh, absolutely, and,
1: absolutely. Um, and, and, I, and I think that there are uh, the, the, uh, there's a lot of young uh, th- visionaries, uh, a lot of potential in this community. Um, and I think we need to be open to uh, to 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 encouraging um, younger uh, folks who are uh, interested in in governance uh, to become involved.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: we, we, unfortunately, my generation became pretty cynical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we were the children of Watergate and we were the children of, of, uh, of the Vietnam conflict. And so it, it is, um, uh, I, I am hopeful, but I would encourage all the listeners, you know, to become involved. Well, There's would... so many different, and, 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 and I've never seen a situation that wasn't improved by having more people's voices heard during the process.
0: I would just say, you know, you've always been someone who's inspired me in terms of public service. Uh, I know your staff attorney, Liz Edmondson, and I go back to first grade. So we've known each other for a real long time. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my peers and friends also just really respect and value the work that you and the Kentucky Resources Council have done over the years. So, uh, you know, you don't seem to be slowing down any and I uh, wish you Godspeed going forward. And uh, time has has passed us by, so hopefully we can revisit some of these issues, both offline and online. That'd be
1: great. Thank you for having me. Thanks, it's been a Fitz. good conversation. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash d 8 And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our biweekly e-newsletter.